triple overtime thrillers. Free nuggets from Chick-fil-A. And a 28-0 run. All of that, plus a whole lot more, will be covered right here on this week's edition of the coolest podcast in all of college basketball, The Igloo, with me, Timmy Ice. Well, I mentioned free Chick-fil-A nuggets, and how did that come about? Well, it came about in Cincinnati, where Xavier defeated longtime rival Butler by 14, a game which Butler, they they had they were up two with 11 minutes left, and then it was all Xavier from that point on, 27 to 11 over the final 11 minutes of play, capped off by Quincy Olivari's three, the 10th of the game for Xavier, which gave everyone in attendance free nuggets courtesy of Chick-fil-A. And it was a great story, not just because of the fact, like, oh, it's free nuggets, but it was what came after that. Quincy Olivari being the man of the people that he is, put it out there on social media that he wanted to go to a the local Chick-fil-A where those free nuggets would be applicable and hand them out along with a teammate. I don't care, even if you root for Butler, it is impossible to dislike this guy. But to see him become such a beloved figure in the Xavier community and in the city of Cincinnati, it's heartwarming considering... That he's only going to be with this team for one year. And by God, he's already making it count. And we haven't even reached the halfway point of, halfway point of Biggie's play yet. And the funny thing is, he had 15 points all from behind the arc. But it was Desmond Claude and Davion McKnight who stole the show with a combined 46 points. 26 from Claude and 20 from McKnight. Trey Green continues to ball. Off the bench, he had eight points. And again, those 10 three-pointers for Xavier proved to be a difference maker. They shot nearly 50% from behind the arc. And then they followed that up Friday in a thriller with Georgetown, a high-scoring affair. It was a game-winning dunk from Dalen Swain. With 30 seconds left as Xavier comes from behind to win a thriller over Georgetown by just a point, 92 to 91. And that's despite 32 from Jaden Epps along with 11 dimes. Four players for Xavier in double figures. Olivari at 27, Claude at 19, McKnight 18, Abu Usman with 10. And Dalen Swain played more minutes off the bench than any other player on Xavier, that is. Wayne Bristol at 22 minutes off the bench for Georgetown. But 
Swain did it all. 7.6 boards and 5 assists. Xavier shoots 50% from the floor. They overcome Georgetown hitting nearly 50% of their threes. And also 20 for 21 for the charity stripe. So Xavier quietly now over 500 at 4-3 and three in the league. Other major headlines. I mean, let's go back to Tuesday, shall we? Rick Pitino out. Due to COVID. And by the way, uh, great impromptu move um, by the Bluebeard Army. Uh, breaking out the uh, breaking out the masks near the St. John's bench because that's where the student section is and where, you know, that leadership group is led by um, uh, JT Nordson, who has been on my other show, Hoist the Colors. Um, and St. John... Uh, St. John started slow. They didn't score until the 1507 mark. There was actually a point where I think Naheem Aline in transition was trying like a mid-range jumper from like the from the right corner and he missed it short off the rim. Like grazed it just enough where it just came straight down. And the reaction sounded like a like a live studio audience laugh track that's when I knew like okay think we're in for something interesting here well St. John's made it 24 apiece with four and a half left in the first half well Seton Hall answered by scoring the next 28 points and that was over a stretch of Like, almost eight minutes. Which is ridiculous. Between the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half, and from there, you know, Seton Hall was just on cruise control. 15-point win, but it's clearly not indicative of the overall performance where Seton Hall just ran them out of the building. And St. John's hasn't won on the Rock in 10 years. Now it'll be 11. Seton Hall was more aggressive. Shot better from behind the arc. Dominated them on the glass 49-28. I mean, it was embarrassing enough to the point where Joel Soriano only played 18 minutes. RJ Luis. The R, I think it's RJ Lewis, not Luis. He only played 8 minutes. Ledlam and Jenkins were the only two starters that played more than half the game. And they got like a breakout game out of nowhere from Zuby Edgefer, uh transfer from Kansas. And he finally came alive. I mean, their bench out I think they outplayed the starters from Maybe they didn't. I couldn't I can't tell. let's see, 13, 17. 20, no, nah, not really. They had 29 points compared to the starters, 36. But Dennis Jenkins had almost half of those points, 17 to be exact. Meanwhile, Seton Hall starters, Seton Hall had five guys in double figures. Al, Al Dawes had 21. Dylan today, Wusu, revenge game against his old team. 16 points, 10 boards, and five assists. 
Kadari Richmond, 12 points, 9 boards, and 4 dimes. Dre Davis had 10 points, but the icebreaker performance came courtesy of Elijah Hutchins-Everett. 14 points, 7 rebounds, knocked down a 3 as well that just started that second half on such a high note. I mean, that was... uh, Uh, preceded by uh, Ade Wusu hitting a three to start the second half. Then it was Hutchins Everett. Then it was Dawes in transition from the corner to make it 47-24. And from there, like, it's a wrap. Meanwhile, it was weird to see Creighton look as bad as they did against number one UConn at Gample on Wednesday. I mean... When do you ever see a Creighton team put up 48 points in a whole game? And to only have halfway through the second half, only 28 points. I mean, they got humiliated. I mean, there's no other way of putting it. And we also saw the return of Donovan Klingon, who had six points in 15 minutes. You know, they just, they want to ease him back into it. And I thought they did a great job of doing that. Tristan Newton bounced back with 16. Cam Spencer, Al Caraben each with 13. Hassan Diar continues to be a solid, arguably, easily their best player off the bench with five points in 17 minutes. Although that's a below average performance for his standards as of late. 48-32 edge on the glass. And Creighton only had 18 total makes from the floor. It's 6 of 26 from long range. So, how did they respond in Newark? Three days later, against a red-hot Seton Hall team? My God, what a game. And as a Seton Hall alum and someone who has a... I'm not going to, like, sugarcoat it. I have a rooting interest in Seton Hall because I'm an alum. Ran the student section. My God, this game took years off my life. Not years. I mean, it was just... It was a thriller from start to finish. With a lot of quirky, weird stuff that happened. I mean, it became a a ref show with uh, Pat Driscoll, Evan Burroughs, and Greg Evans... Greg Evans is a guy that I don't think I saw him. I don't think I've ever seen him do a Biggies game. Obviously, I knew Driscoll and Burroughs. But, I mean, there was a lot of debauchery that happened. I mean, in regulation, should have been a five-second call on either Farabella or Shireman that prompted two timeouts to be called because Seton Hall defended the hell out of those inbound plays so well. You know, Greg McDermott was the most livid with the officiating that I've ever seen. So much to the point, you know, with him screaming at the officials going out on the court, I'm just shocked that none of the three officials Disciplined him with a technical foul. I am very shocked. Like, as we're, as officials are taught, like, the T is a tool in your toolbox 
And if you feel the need to use it, use it. And especially in a situation where you're, you don't want to get verbally abused by a coach or a player. In this case, I could very well argue that they were getting verbally abused by McDermott. More so by quantity because it happened for the for the majority of the game versus the quality of it. Because I, I feel like Mac is not one of those guys who's going to just drop F-bomb after F-bomb and curse him out to the point where like it's completely intolerable. But it was just a constant cycle of this happening. And I'm shocked that the referees didn't hand out a tee. So Crane forces overtime. And in overtime number two, Seton Hall went down four, 83-79. By the way, and then on the other end, a Stupid mistake on Creighton's part. Fouling Alamir Dawes, one of the best free throw shooters in the league, on a three-pointer. And what does he do? He makes all three. We got a one-point game. On the ensuing inbounds, Kadari Richmond steals the inbounds pass. Farabello with an errant pass. Richmond gets the steal. Passes to Dawes. Gets the easy layup. Seen Hall's up one. Or so we think. Evans calls a foul. And turns out there wasn't a foul because the replay clearly showed that there was no illegal contact made by Stephen Ashworth. So Richmond goes to the line, makes the first, misses the second short. I know that, listen, if he just makes both free throws, this doesn't even become an issue. But because of how things played out, yeah, it's a problem because it takes, it takes Seton Hall's opportunity to win the game. It snatches it from him. So now we got to go to a third overtime. Seton Hall goes up five early, 88-83. And then Seton Hall, they can't put him away. And then they get right back in it with an Ashworth three. And then Alamir Dawes called for an offensive foul. The second time he had been called for that, like with like a swim move. But let's be real. I watched the replay. Steven Ashworth flopped like a fish, acting like Kramer when he got hit by the magic loogie. In the Keith Hernandez episode, like, I'm hit! Like, I pointed this out on Hoist the Colors. Flopping, or in this case, the technical naming being, faking being fouled, was added to the rulebook this year. To be called and enforced. And no one's had the balls to call it. Except for maybe one instance where it was called on Alamir Dawes against Georgetown. That's the only one I've seen. And then on the other end, well, Trey Alexander makes it 90-89. 
And then at 91-90, after two makes by Kadari from the free throw line, Trey Alexander hits a three to make it a two-point game. But Trey embellishes a little bit by falling on the three-pointer to try to elicit a foul call for a potential four-point play. And that's, they didn't give him the call, but like this is the second time in 45 seconds of gameplay that they could have, but didn't have the balls to call a flop. This is going to sound like sour grapes, but that's my opinion. So the way I see it, listen, there was no winner or loser. There was a survivor and the survivor was Creighton 97, 94, 56, 45. They got out rebounded despite having, you know, the seven, one Ryan Kalkbrenner, but Kalkbrenner played his best game of the season, arguably 28 points, nine boards, seven blocks. You added 23 from Alexander, 20 points, 10, 10 rebounds and six assists from Shireman. Ashworth had 11 points. By the way, Shireman played all 55 minutes. 6 of 20 is not pretty, but I mean, 20 points is 20 points, no matter how you chalk it up. Meanwhile, for Seton Hall, you know, Kadari Richmond became the first pirate to put up a triple-double in a quarter century almost. 21 points, 11 rebounds, and 11 assists, but 8 of 32 from the floor. I mean... Not a great shooting line, but triple-double is still a triple-double. By the way, Dre Davis had 21, but he fouled out. 10 of 12 from the floor, 1 of 2 from long range. That impressive day. And Doss had 21 of his own, 7 of 20 from the floor, 2 of 5 from deep. But, and you got a double-double from Bediaco, 15 and 10. Just wasn't meant to be for the Pirates on this day. And that loss, you know, arguably probably kicked them out of any kicked them out of the top 25 potentially as they finished one spot short at number 26 in this week's poll. Other games this week. Um things just got worse for DePaul. They got beat 162 by Providence. And DePaul started off pretty well and then Providence just took over. I mean, DePaul to lead as big as four in the first half. At 16 to 12, the rest of the game, it was 88-46. Like, jeez, Louise. I mean, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail on it, but like DePaul turned it over 19 times. They shot under 50% from the free throw line. Gave a 58% shooting, like, minus 10 on the glass, too. Just yuck. Yuck. And then on Saturday, they lose to Butler by 14. The game which Butler started off hot. DePaul didn't go away, but, I mean, they still lost again to fall to 3-15. and And finally... DePaul parted ways and fired Tony Stubblefield after just two and a half years at the helm. I mean, I think this should have happened at least a month ago. 
but the deed is done. Now the search begins. There are so many options out there, whether they be currently current coaches or coaches that are not on the sidelines this year, but have good track records. I know the two names that I hear are Tom Crean and Chris Mack. Uh, Tony Patel's shout out to him being the leader of the Tom Crean discourse. But whoever DePaul hires, it has to be a slam dunk hire. It's got to be a big name. So we'll see what Dwayne Peavy has up his sleeve. Meanwhile, also on Saturday, a couple one-point games. Marquette at St. John's at the Garden. By the way, love those mid-90s throwbacks, especially having that big logo from that era at center court, along with the skyline, you know, the New York City skyline that you see on the court at Carneseca. Really cool touch, considering that the Knicks had a game later that night. So, Props to St. John's for making it happen, and props to Madison Square Garden for accommodating, too. St. John's got off to a great start, but Marquette just didn't go away. They went on a big run, and we thought they were going to pull away up seven with 255 to go, but St. John's, they didn't go away. They cut it down to one. With 38 seconds left, Dennis Jenkins ends up missing what could have been the game-tying free throw. And that free throw ends up coming back to haunt him because they can never get over the hump as Jenkins missed the three game-winning three at the horn. And Marquette leaves the Garden with a with a big win. And St. John's, they fall to 500. All five starters for Marquette in double figures. Iguodaro with 17. Kolek with 15 and 11 assists. 13 for Joplin, 12 for Mitchell, 11 for Cam Jones. Meanwhile, for St. John's, R.J. Lewis came alive in this one with 20 points after only playing eight minutes against Seton Hall as I'm battling the hiccups here, Jesus. Um, Jenkins had 16, Ledlam with 13 points and 11 boards. So Joel Soriano, 11 points and nine rebounds, but not great, but it's a hell of a lot better than how he played on Tuesday. Meanwhile, Edgefer continues his strong play, 8 points and 12 minutes off the bench. I mean, he's come out of nowhere. Like He could become one of, if not, if not their most reliable option off the bench. And by the way, it was awfully funny to see the re- reaction of Rick Pitino at the end of the game when he just like collapsed on the court. <laughs> Meme of the year in the Big East. I mean, there's so many meme of the year contenders. But now we move on to a Saturday night showdown in Philly, UConn, and Villanova. You know, this was a game of runs, and UConn... Usually when they get a... You know, when they get on a run in the second half, they kind of cruise the rest of the way and got get the separation they need to win comfortably. But it wasn't like that. Villanova tied it at 58 with about three minutes left. And on the other end, perfect sequence. Tristan New with a great skip pass to the corner, finding Alex Caravan for a wide open three. 
That gives them the lead for good. And by the way, Mark Armstrong hit a three at the buzzer from half court. Um, According to ESPN bet that didn't cover the spread, but for the vast majority of people, they had a spread that was under four and UConn was up four when that three happened. So tough way to lose if you took UConn covering. And Tristan Newton, you know, Played very well. 25 points. He's really bounced back and played like the guy who, you know, was the catalyst running the point for that national championship team a year ago. Caraban, uh, Spencer at 14, but Caravan only 10 points, but had the three most important points of the game, unless you bet UConn minus three and a half or whatever, and that half-court shot by Armstrong ended up being the most important points of the game to some. And it was a clean game, too. Seven turnovers for UConn, eight for Villanova, and Klingon in his second game back, six points in 24 minutes. So first two games back, six. Um, I think he had six points in each game and shooting 50% overall. So, give him time and he's going to look like Kling Kling Kong, you know, the monster um, that we had seen him become. And he was even like that at several points last year. But looking like that monster that he was um, this year before uh, going down with that injury against Seton Hall a month ago. So, for this week... I got some gutsy picks. Tonight, Butler-Georgetown. Butler's minus three and a half, but I'm going to go with a gutsy pick here. I'm going Georgetown beating Butler. It's gut feeling, but I'm going with it. Xavier at Creighton. Creighton minus eight and a half. I got the Blue Jays winning this one at home uh, to continue playing well. Uh, Seton Hall, I'm expecting them to get a bounce back win over Providence, but Providence, listen, they're going to put up a fight. They had their... Bounce back opportunity, you know, perfect game at the perfect time after losing four straight and getting to Paul and bouncing back in a big way. Now they're coming off a bye. Seton Hall coming off that triple OT heartbreaker. I think this is one of those things where Seton Hall, they're going to hold their heads high. Nothing to be ashamed of for how the way that they played against Creighton. And they'll bounce back with a win over Providence. Meanwhile, Across the bridge into New York. St. John's hosting Villanova. I think St. John's bounces back. And I think they beat Nova at the Garden. Something they haven't done well in the Garden since 2019. They did beat them at home two, uh, three years ago during the COVID season with no fans in the building. Um, that was 2021. In which, you know, Paj Alexander basically dog-walked Colin Gillespie. 9 o'clock CBS Sports Network tomorrow. First game for DePaul post-firing of Tony Stubblefield. And they take on number 14, Marquette. Yeah, it doesn't matter if, you know, they're moving on from Stubbs now. Like, Marquette's going to win this game. Saturday. Oh, boy. The game that has been circled on everyone's calendar since it was announced back in September. Ed Cooley's return to Friartown. 
The amp is going to be absolutely electric. It's going to be, honestly, a war zone. It's going to be one of the most hostile environments you're ever going to see. I genuinely believe that. Especially for, you know, a regular season game. Everyone points at Chris Beard's return to Texas Tech after taking over the Texas job a couple of years back. But this is different. There are much different circumstances surrounding Ed Cooley's departure versus Chris Beard's departure. Chris Beard wasn't a Lubbock native and a Texas Tech lifer or someone who had the career aspirations of coaching at Texas Tech like Ed Cooley had the career aspirations of coaching at Providence as a Providence native. So this is different. I'm sure there's no animosity between guys like, you know, I know Bryce Hopkins is injured, but guys like Devin Carter, Jaden Pierre, guys who were on, were brought in by Ed Cooley to play at Providence that are still there. I'm, I'm sure there's no animosity there because, you know, those players are mature young men. But I really think that this game, Providence will win because these fans are going to will them to a win, even if they don't play well. They want to win this one so badly. This is this is their Super Bowl. I hate to admit it, but this game, whether you want to admit it or not, Friar Faithful, this is your Super Bowl, and you want to win this one so, more than any other game, arguably, in the history that you've either been alive or rooted for this team. And that includes Final Four games, Elite Eight games. Other games in the NCAA tournament, even the Big East Championship games. You want this one more than any other game in your entire life. And your Friars, I got it. I think they're going to get it done. I'm just going to leave it at that. Meanwhile, Seton Hall's at number 14, Marquette. Marquette's going to get revenge in this one. I got them beating the Pirates, although I, Seton Hall will keep it close because they're definitely one of those teams that they will not give up. And they're not just going to roll over for any one opponent. Right after that on FS1, Villanova Butler. Honestly, this feels like a toss-up. I mean, part of me leans Butler. Another part... My gut feeling is Villanova, but something's pulling me to Butler. But I don't know if it's pulling me enough. I'm going with Villanova. And I'm sticking with it. Final answer, Regis. <laughs> and then 7 o'clock on FS1. 17th ring, Creighton hosting DePaul. I mean, I'm not going to go into the details, but Creighton's going to win that game. And then on Sunday at noon on FS1, UConn, number one in the country, hosting Xavier at the XL Center. UConn will finish the sweep and beat the Musketeers. So those are my picks. And this week's and you know your week in review over on the men's side, women's week in review, and my picks for the coming week, which also include a big primetime showdown on Fox on Saturday, 
between longtime rivals UConn and Notre Dame at in Hartford. That's all coming up right after this. And hey, 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 it's Christina Dowsey, also known as Chrissy D, and you're listening to the Igloo with Timmy Ice. So where shall we begin? I mean, we'll start with Tuesday, you know, DePaul, no surprise. They finished the season sweep by throttling Xavier by 32, 79-47. Another game where Xavier failed to have a player score in double figures. They had two players with nine. But, you know, their struggles continue at 1-14. Not going to go into the details, but, I mean, listen, it was just ugly. So, you know, speaking to Christina Dulcie, whose segue took us into the segment. Dulcie played a huge role in Villanova's upset of 22nd-ranked Marquette. They won 66-63. And Lucy Olsen led the charge with 37 points, including the layup that ended up putting uh, Villanova up for good. But by the way, Villanova was down 63-56 with 3.54 to go. And they ended the game on a 10-0 run, which started with a Christina Dalsey layup. And then Lucy Olsen scored the final eight points, including that layup that ended up being the game winner with 29 seconds left. And then you had... Not one, but two huge Christina Dalsey blocks in the within the final five seconds. Liza Carlin's three just misses, and Villanova pulls a mat. That's a big upset. And by the way, now I'm regretting it. I I shouldn't trust in my gut that Villanova was not going to allow themselves to go zero and two against Marquette and Creighton. I should have known. Should have picked Villanova over Marquette, and I just didn't pull the trigger. Not afraid to admit I was wrong. Not great, but it is what it is. But Dalsey, you know, those two blocks she had in the final five seconds, two of her seven blocks. She also added 10 points and 14 rebounds. So tremendous game uh, for the imposing Junior from Jersey. Only one other playing double figures. Bella Runyon had 11 points. And then Maddie Weber added eight off the bench. Those are the only four players that score for Villanova in this game. And they were more aggressive. They got to the line a lot more. 17 free throw attempts compared to Marquette's six. Mackenzie Harris, 21 points. Liza Carlin with 16. Jordan King with 13. And Marquette, you know, they're not as deep as they were earlier early in the year. They only played eight in this game. And the trio of Hottinger, Volker, and Caves. The, the first two each played 14 minutes. Caves only um she only played six minutes. But big win for Villanova. And that loss ends up bouncing Marquette out of the top 25. Meanwhile, St. John's, no surprise they took care of business against Butler. 
holding them to just 42 points, including just 16 in the second half, and outscored them 30-16. to 16. It was a close game going into the locker room, but St. John's just throttled, dominated the second half. Meanwhile, Georgetown played in a thriller up in Friartown against Providence. I mean, it was a back-and-forth affair, high-scoring fourth quarter. And Kelsey Ransom, who else? Guess the game-winning layup with four seconds left. And Georgetown continues their road success with a two-point win in a battle of first-year head coaches. Darnell Haney up, up at Georgetown, Aaron Bath over in Providence. That was two of Ransom's 25 points, a game high. And then you had 16 from Bennett and Rivera as well. You know, that trio made a huge difference, but also a big difference maker off the bench. At 11 minutes, Modesty McConnell knocked down three three-pointers. And Georgetown was liked out for three, nine for 20. But Providence was even better at eight for 12. And the Friars also shot 55% from the floor. Georgetown still saw 48%. But Providence 17 turnovers. I'm telling you, Providence would be a legitimate factor in the Big East if they limited their turnovers. Like their offensive firepower, like they're they're that efficient on offense in terms of shooting the ball, but the turnovers that is their Achilles heel. So, I mean, Grace Afosa had a big-time performance of 19 points. Olivia Olsen added 17. 14 from Bryn Farrell, who was perfect from long range at 4 for 4. Marta Morales-Romero, she added a dozen of her own. 5 for 5 from the floor and 2 of 2 from long range added 7 assists as well. 5 points from Naraya Scott off the bench. feel like I haven't mentioned her a lot this year. And then the junior from from Rhode Island, from Johnston, uh, Sarah Bandoma chipped in a couple buckets off the bench. And then no surprise, ninth-ranked UConn throttled Seton Hall at Walsh Gym, and that was after going down two after one quarter. The rest of the game, it was all Huskies. I mean, the first and third quarters, Seton Hall had the advantage, a 10-point edge to be exact, 41-31. It's crazy to think that the second and fourth quarters, UConn outscored Seton Hall 52-18. Absolutely, I mean, that's nuts. And Seton Hall's no slouch either. Page, Page went off. 32 points on 12 of 17 shooting, 4 of 8 from long range, 17 from Elite Edwards, 9, point, nine rebounds and 3 assists. K.K. Arnold, 15 points. Nika Mule only had 5 points, but had 10 assists on the night. Ashley Shade had 5. Caden Samuels had 5 off the bench. Didn't really need much from the bench because Paige, Aaliyah, and K.K. were brilliant in this one. Especially Beckers. 59% from the floor as a team. 37-20 edge on the glass. I mean, 18 turnovers, that's something I know they'll clean up because they're UConn. Seton Hall shot really well from three at 42%, but UConn really protected the interior well, holding them to 10 of 29 from two. Inside the arc, 
UConn was 19 of 27. And if you want to chalk up the shooting percentage on that, that's 70%. Over the weekend, UConn kept their momentum going, going by crushing DePaul 88-51. to 51. I mean, it was a blowout from the start. It was a 49-21 game at the break. And Ashley Shade had her best game as a Husky with 21 points. Beckers had 20 in just 23 minutes. Aaliyah Edwards, 18 points in only 21 minutes. And the bench getting some time and performing well. Amari DeBerry had 8 points. Ice Brady had 6. Caden Samuels had 5. And Inesh Betancourt had a bucket of her own. Did shoot well from 3. 3 for 14, but shot 50% as a team overall. 28 of 48 from 2. And they also happened to turn over DePaul 27 times. And we're 23 of 24 from the free throw line. You know, Anaya Peoples fouled out 2 for 10 from the floor in 30 minutes. 8 points on the game. The only player in double figures, all from behind the arc with 15 points, was Maeve McGurlin. So the Huskies remain unbeaten. DePaul, their struggles kind of continue. They're now 2-5 and five in the conference. And then Georgetown, they're now over 500 in the Big East. By throttling Savior by 28. And by the way, it was a 38 point game after three. It was 66 to 28. Really balanced effort. Grace Ann Bennett with 18, 16 from Victoria Rivera. Kelsey Ransom didn't really need to do much 10 points and six assists. Brianna Scott had 12 off the bench. Jada Claw chipped in six. And then Alex Cowan, um, she had eight in 32 minutes. And only one player in double figures for Xavier. That was Michaela Scarlett, who had 21 of their 49. So Georgetown, continuing to be that feel-good story, as I've talked about before, the feel-good story in college basketball that nobody's talking about. Well, except me. Meanwhile, my prediction that I should have stuck with should have ended up, well, it came to fruition. Because Villanova ended up losing to Creighton on Sunday, 63-49. And Lucy Olsen put up 29, but the rest of the team, it was a rough day. Olsen went 12-29 from the floor, 0-6 from 3. The team was 0-17 from long range. I mean, how often do you see that, especially with Villanova? Listen, you know... Simply put, the team that has more points at the end of the game wins the game. And not making a single three drastically lowers your chances of winning winning a game. Or as Scott Steiner put it, your chances of winning drastic go down. Shout out to anyone who understood that reference. As for Creighton, they only played seven, well, really six. Jamie Horan only played three minutes. Kennedy Townsend played 22 minutes off the bench. Morgan Molly another bit uh, put up a big performance of 24 points and 13 boards. Emma Ronzik 19 5 and 5. Lauren Jensen with a dozen. Molly Mogensen with six. 45 33 edge on the glass. So the Blue Jays are now red hot. 
tying Villanova in the standings. And then Butler, seeing them drop off like this, it's just so surprising. They were down to Providence at the break, 35-16. to They clawed their way back, made it a nine-point game going into the fourth. Like, okay, Butler's got some life. But I feel like there was a lot exerted into that attempted comeback that they didn't have enough gas in the fourth quarter. Providence ends up winning by 10. Led by a 16-point, 13-rebound performance from Olivia Olsen. Add in 12 each from Grace Afosa and Bryn Farrell. Nine from Emily Archibald, who was scoreless against Georgetown. And then Morales Romero had eight. As for Butler, I mean, outside of Caroline Strandy and Rachel Kent, they didn't get much. 18 points outside of those two, considering Strandy had 22 and Kent had 13. And you also had eight points from Ari Wiggins. So he only had 10 points from the rest of the team beyond that. I mean, Butler shot well from three, nine of 26. I mean, 34.6% isn't great, but like they were better than Providence from three. They turned them over 22 times, but Providence, again, more efficient from the floor. And they got to the line more, 21 free throws compared to 14 for Butler. So big Bounce back win for the Friars. They're now 3-4 and four in conference. And Butler, their struggles continue. They're now 0-7 in the Big East. And then I should have made this pick. I was going to go with Seton Hall in this game against St. John's Monday night. Procrastinated. Well, I also had a game to ref. Well, two games at the middle school level. I got those last minute, which kind of got in the way of me recording. But Seton Hall and St. John's, no surprise. These two played a back-and-forth affair. And lo and behold, it goes to overtime. But St. John's made quite the charge in the fourth quarter, outscoring the Pirates 22-15 to to force overtime tied at 57. And forcing overtime was Bernaya Mayo with a three-pointer with 34 seconds left. That was three of her 23, a game high. But it was all Seton Hall in overtime. They went 74-66, I, and they had a lot of big plays in overtime. couple big and ones in particular. Specifically from Azana Baines, and then later on, Micah Gray. And then the X-Factor performance was Shea Hagens had the dagger three in, in the final minute that made it a nine-point game at 72-63. I will say, though, not a good look for Seton Hall as they're trying to dribble out the clock. There's only about a f- couple seconds difference between game and shot clock. Wasn't a big fan of Savannah Catalan driving the lane and then trying to get a putback after Ayana Lops got the offensive rebound. Just wasn't a big fan of it. By the way, the shot clock operator fucked up because the shot clearly hit the rim on the layup. They should have. Reset the shot clock and, you know, because of that, the shot clock ends up going off when it should have gone off with only a second left or so. Nobody was happy. Tony Bazella wasn't happy with the shot selection because I don't know why you, like, it's okay to have a turnover in your, in your lot, in, in your stat line. It's okay. I promise. 
Like, they should have just dribbled out the clock, and I understand Tony wasn't happy with that. Joe Tartamella especially not happy with it, and I don't blame him one bit. And he, If anything, he is 1,000% in the right. That's how the game ends. Baines had 17 points and 13 rebounds. Gray with 16. Satterfield, Case Satterfield also had 16 points on 8 of 15 shooting. But Shea Hagans made such a big difference off the bench. In 18 minutes, had 10 points on a perfect 4-4 from the floor. And her only three-point attempt was the dagger. And the Pirates didn't shoot particularly. They didn't shoot well from three at all. Three for 13. But they really dominated the paint. 25 of 50 inside the arc for 50%. St. John's also left seven points at the line, 11 of 18 compared to Seton Hall, who was 15 for 17. Uh, Mayo had 23, as I mentioned. Tara Day had a dozen. Jillian Archer, 10 points and eight rebounds. And Unique Drake, you know, her production has gone down quite a bit after, you know, she was she's averaging 19 a game and only had eight in this game. And they didn't get much from the bench. Just five points from the bench from St. John's compared to 17 from Seton Hall. So, I'm going to go through this quick. UConn at Marquette on Tuesday. I UConn's. I don't think they're going to blow Marquette out like they did on New Year's Eve. But UConn, they should win handily up at the Al against Marquette. Wednesday, we got a trio of games on the docket. Butler-Xavier, someone's going to get their first Big East win, and it's going to be Butler. I was, I've been saying, like, Butler's due for a win. I thought they were due against Providence. Well, good news. You get Xavier and Butler. That's when they will get their first Big East win of the year after that 0-7 start. Xavier's also 0-7, so they'll be 0-8 after this one. Also, Creighton at Georgetown. Georgetown's going to put up a fight. Uh, they've obviously been a lot better on the road than they have been at home. And Creighton, you know, making the short trip from Philly to D.C. Uh, and yeah, I got Creighton winning this one. Now, Villanova at Providence, after splitting those games against ranked opponents, Marquette and Creighton, Villanova bounces back at Alumni Hall with a win over Providence. Now, St. John's at DePaul is an interesting one. I'm kind of tempted to pick DePaul, but I think St. John's is going to bounce back with a win in the Windy City. Saturday. Going to go through these quick. Providence at Xavier. Friars are going to win that one on the road. Butler at Marquette. I got the Golden Eagles handling business against the Bulldogs. Primetime showdown at 8 Eastern. Notre Dame and UConn. We're going to have a more in-depth preview as part of a bonus episode this week as I bring on my good pals Stratton Stave and Cole Steffen. I'm going to take UConn in a close one. And then on Sunday, three more games for you. Starting with Georgetown and St. John's. I believe this is their first meeting this year. I feel pretty confident in that. I'm pretty sure that's their first meeting of the year. They'll meet in D.C. in late February. So in this game of Carneseca, I'm really tempted 
to pick Georgetown because they look a lot better on the road than they do at home. You know what? To quote Darnell Haney, Georgetown, they, they got them, they got them outside dogs. And Georgetown will win at Carneseca. Gut feeling. I know St. John's, they're fourth in the Big East at five and three, but I got a gut feeling. I think Georgetown's going to beat him at Carneseca. Now, over on CBS Sports Network, Seton Hall at Creighton. Seton Hall's looked particularly really bad in Omaha. May, I, I want them to perform better as an alum in that building at Sokol Arena. Do I think it's going to happen? Like, yes and no. They'll still lose the game, but I don't think Creighton's going to crush them into oblivion like they have in years past. And then Villanova-DePaul... I think Villanova gets the win over DePaul. I mean, it's really weird to see them struggling like this. Really weird. So, I'm going to take Villanova uh, taking both legs of this road trip that they have um, to Providence first and then uh, to DePaul. Uh, before they get a big matchup Wednesday night next week against the UConn Huskies. So, before I wrap up this episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Biggie's Films. Uh, check out their uh, their debut film, Divine Providence, about the controversial departure of Ed Cooley uh, to Georgetown. I know that there is a lot of crazy shit in it. Um, some borderline conspiracy theories. You know, let's call a spade a spade, you know, borderline conspiracy theories. I know there's hearsay and, you know, heard it through the grapevine. This is what I saw. Eyewitness accounts and stuff like that. Not going to go into the details because everybody knows about it by now. Um, Some unfavorable comparisons that I personally don't agree with at all. Um, um, Equating Ed Cooley to a certain German dictator. Definitely don't agree with that. But listen, in terms of a documentary, listen, it it hooks you in. It keeps you watching. And that was the mission of the film. So you can't blame them for that. They executed their plan to perfection. If you're intrigued enough, again, make sure to check it out on YouTube, Biggie's Films, Divine Providence. So, That's going to do it for this episode. Until next week, this is Timmy Ice signing off from the Igloo, the coolest podcast in all of college basketball. Take care, y'all. Again, see you next week. And make sure to keep your eyes peeled for that bonus episode, um, which will feature a Notre Dame-UConn preview with uh, Stratton Stave and Cole Steffen. And because the game... This game has so much magnitude. The regular season game that is going to be the most must-see of the year by a wide margin. Going to work on a Georgetown-Providence preview. Getting that together as well. Yes, TBD. But I will definitely keep you guys in the loop for that bonus episode that I'm probably going to end up putting out on like Friday. Because both those games will be Saturday, both on Fox, Georgetown Providence at 1230, and then Notre Dame UConn in primetime at 8.
So now that'll do it. This is Timmy Ice signing off. Thanks for, once again for tuning in to the Coolest Podcast and all of college basketball. The Igloo with me, Timmy Ice.